Okay, we're going to read from God's Word um, from Luke chapter 22, um, 23, thank you. (laughs) Um, So we'll be starting from verse 13. Uh, This is the part of God's Word where we hear the testimony about Jesus' life, death and resurrection. And here we'll be reading about the day that Jesus was arrested and sent to the Roman rulers. The Roman ruler Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers of the people and the people and said to them, you brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us. As you can see, he has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. We're going to continue in chapter 23 from verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him to be executed. When they came to the place called the Skull, they crucified him there, along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he he is God's Messiah, the chosen one. The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, this is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, Truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. It was now about noon, and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon, for the sun had stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. Jesus called out with a loud voice, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When he had said this, he breathed his last. The centurion, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. When all the people who had gathered to witness this sight saw what had took place, they beat their breasts and went away.
Good morning, everyone. Uh, Let's pray as we look at God's Word together. Our Lord, as we reflect on what you did on a cross 2,000 years ago, I pray that this morning we would meditate, we would reflect, and we would be convicted, and that our hearts would be filled with joy, knowing how much you love us. And I pray this in your name. Amen. On April the 3rd, 1968, the famous civil rights leader for African Americans, Martin Luther King Jr., was in Memphis giving a rousing speech. His flight to Memphis had been delayed due to a bomb threat, and this is what King, who was a committed Christian, said in reference to the bomb threat. He said, we, well, I don't know what will happen now. We've got some difficult days ahead. But it doesn't matter with me now because I've been to the mountaintop and I don't mind. Like anybody, I'd like to live a long life. Longevity has its place, but I'm not concerned about that now. I just want to do God's will. And he's allowed me to go up to the mountain and I've looked over and I've seen the promised land. I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. So I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. People call that speech prophetic because it was the last speech of his life. The very next day, April 4th, 1968, as he was standing on the balcony of the Lorraine Motel in Memphis, King was shot in the head by a man called James Earl Ray. This coming Wednesday marks the 50th anniversary of Martin Luther King's death, and it will be a day of sadness and solemn remembrance, not a day of celebrating, because no one celebrates the death of their leader or king, except us, it seems. Every year on Good Friday, not Bad Friday, On Good Friday, all around the world, we Christians celebrate the death of Jesus. We don't just celebrate His resurrection on Sunday, we celebrate His death on Friday. And when I say celebrate, I don't mean the pathetic dictionary definition to observe a special day. When I say celebrate, I mean the kind of thing that people did when it was announced that World War II was officially over. They celebrated. They didn't just observe a special day, they got out into the streets and danced and sang for joy. That's the kind of celebrating I'm talking about. And for many of us Christians, that's the kind of response that Jesus' death brings to us. We celebrate. We don't just hang our heads in a moment of silence. Our hearts leap for joy. Why? That's what we need to be reminded of this morning. Why on earth are we here right now, on a Friday morning, on a public holiday, celebrating the death of our leader, Jesus Christ, the person we most look up to? Now, if you're here this morning and you don't consider yourself a Christian, maybe you're wondering the same thing too. Why are these crazy Christians celebrating the death of their leader? Uh, Seems almost morbid. Now, you'd be justified for thinking that we're a bit crazy, Because when you look at the account of Jesus' death, part of which was read out just before, there's nothing pretty about it. 
at all. It's not this beautiful, touching scene like in the movie Titanic where Jack slowly sinks into the ocean so that Rose can live. No, not Jesus' death. Jesus goes through hell. His death was brutal and gross and shameful. I mean, look at it. Starting from Luke 22, uh, verse 39. Uh, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane on the Mount of Olives. He's praying. He knows what's coming and he's absolutely terrified. He's in such anguish that he's sweating drops of blood. Then he's betrayed by Judas, one of his 12 hand-picked disciples with a kiss. He's taken to the high priest's house, and while he's interrogated, one of his closest friends, Peter, denies ever knowing him. Then he's blindfolded and punched and teased. He's taken to Pilate, where he's accused of stuff he didn't say, or do. Then he's sent to Herod where they dress him up like a clown and they treat him with total contempt. Herod then sends him back to Pilate who wants to release him, but the angry crowd would rather have Barabbas, you know, a convicted criminal released them rather than Jesus. And then Jesus is handed over to be crucified. He's nailed to a large wooden cross, nine-inch nails through his wrists, a large nail through both his ankles. And he's crucified between two criminals. He's treated like a criminal, even though he hasn't done anything wrong. And then the soldiers take his clothes and cast lots for them. And that means Jesus is completely naked. We don't often depict that in pictures because it's too confronting, but that's what happens. Jesus is completely naked on the cross. He's utterly humiliated while people watch on and scoff at him and offer stinging vinegar to drink, literally salt in his wounds. Why do we celebrate something like this? This perversion of justice this sick torture, this tragedy, it seems. Why not just stick to something nicer like Easter bunnies and Easter eggs and hot buns without the crosses? Well, let me remind you, we celebrate for two reasons. We celebrate for two reasons. First of all, Jesus' death on the cross saves us from hell, a hell that we deserve. In a cafe this week, I found a book called The Secret Lives of Men and Women. The book was written by a guy called Frank Warren. He runs a blog uh, called Post Secret from his town in Germanstown in Maryland. And people from all over the planet anonymously send Frank uh, their deepest, darkest secrets written on these postcards that he puts up on his blog. And then every so often he publishes books filled with photos of those postcards. Uh, Most of those are incredibly inappropriate, but here's a few that I found um, that people have sent to Frank. I won't read them out. Most of us have deep, dark secrets that we hide. Secrets that we're incredibly ashamed of. Things that we know we deserve to be punished by God for. 
Now, maybe you're not hiding any big secrets. Fair enough. Uh, but what if we were to somehow watch a video of your entire life on this big screen, narrated by a, a voiceover of all your thoughts? How would that make you feel? I know how that would make me feel. I'd be horrified. I'd be totally ashamed. See, here's the scary reality. I deserve to be punished by God. All throughout my life, I have done things that I shouldn't have done, and I haven't done things that I should have done. I have disappointed and hurt so many people in my life. I've let so many horrible things come out of this mouth. And if I were to stand before a perfect and holy God today, and He were to judge me on my merits alone, He would say, guilty. And He would be perfectly just and right to punish me. That's the sad state of affairs. But so often we don't want to admit that. We try to minimize the severity of our sin. We say stuff like, you know, what I did isn't that bad. I didn't hurt anyone. Or maybe we say, I've, sure, I've done the wrong thing. I'm very sorry, but I don't think I deserve to be punished. Like the Australian cricket team this week. Now, look, full disclosure, unlike our two other pastors here, I don't follow cricket at all. I didn't know who Steve Smith was until a few days ago. But the uproar over this cheating scandal this past week has been so huge that even someone like me has heard all about it. And so I watched that press conference where Steve, and, uh, sorry, Steve Smith and Bancroft, they, had, they admitted to ball tampering. And what shocked me the most was how matter-of-fact they spoke about it. They didn't seem to understand at all how big a deal it was. They were like, yeah, we cheated. Uh, sorry, sorry about that. It won't happen again. They treated their huge moral failure as though it was nothing and as though it didn't deserve serious consequences. And we all do the same thing. Every one of us. Uh, with our own sin before God. Why do we do that? We do that because owning up to our sin and taking responsibility for it is shameful and it's costly. Like if we were brutally honest with ourselves and with each other, uh, we would all put up our hands and say, I'm guilty. But we don't do that because we know that if we admitted all our failures, we'd be crucified. And this is the huge dilemma that humanity is in. God is a holy and just and righteous God, and if justice were done, we'd all be crucified. And rightly so. But God's Son, Jesus, is totally different to us. He's not like one of us. Well, He is, but He also isn't. And the thief on the cross understood this clearly. What does he say when the other guy starts abusing Jesus? He says to him, don't you fear God, since you're under the same sentence? We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. We, Jesus, we humanity, are completely guilty, but Jesus is completely innocent. 
And on the cross, something incredible happens. There's a substitution that takes place. Last week, you may have seen in the news, uh, there was a terrorist attack in southern France. There was a gunman who hijacked a car. He drove to a busy supermarket. He killed a couple people, and then he held a woman hostage. And there was a heroic policeman uh, with a lovely French name that I can't pronounce, and he went in unarmed to the supermarket, and he offered himself as exchange for the female hostage. And incredibly, the gunman agreed, and she was released, and her life was saved. And now the unarmed policeman was the hostage. Now, being a policeman, he wasn't just going to sit there, was he? He tried to disarm the guy, but in the process, he was seriously injured. He was stabbed multiple times. At that point, the SWAT team rushed in. They shot the terrorist dead, and they flew the injured policeman to hospital. All of France held their breath, and unfortunately, he died shortly afterwards with his wife at his bedside. That's the kind of exchange that happens on the cross. Jesus takes my place. I'm the one held hostage by my sin, by my own moral failures. I've nowhere to escape, but Jesus comes in and he takes my place so that I can be set free. He takes the hit for me. And this is why the cross is such good news. Because on the cross... Jesus was crucified for me. I deserve to go to hell, but Jesus went through hell for me. I should be on the cross. I should be the one on the cross. Those nails are meant for me. They're what I deserve, but Jesus took them for me. On the cross, God punished his own son so that he didn't have to punish me. It's the only way that humanity can be forgiven for its sin. God is a just judge. He has to punish sin. If he didn't, he wouldn't be a good judge. He'd be an evil, crooked judge, like the sorts of judges who let criminals get off scot-free. A price had to be paid for my sin, for our sin. And on the cross... Jesus paid that price. He paid for it with his life. You see, the cross shows me how sinners like you and me who deserve to be punished by God can be saved from hell, can be pardoned and forgiven. And that's one major reason why we celebrate the cross, but it's not the only reason. We also celebrate the cross because it demonstrates to us how much God loves us. The cross isn't simply a picture of an angry God pouring out His wrath. When I look at the cross, when I, when I picture the Son of God dying for me, I see the huge cost involved in forgiving me. It cost God His Son to forgive me. God paid for my forgiveness in blood. It's not cheap. And therefore, when I look at the cross, I see what lengths God went to in order to buy me back. The cross shows me how much I'm loved by God. I see how badly God wants me to be with Him in paradise. And that brings us back to the thief on the cross. He doesn't just recognize that he's guilty and Jesus is innocent. Look at what else he says. 
He says, we're punished justly for we're getting what our deeds deserve, but this man has done nothing wrong. Then he says to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answers him, truly, I tell you today, uh, truly, I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. See, that's why Jesus died. Not only that we would be spared from punishment, but so that we'd be with him forever in paradise. This is how the Apostle John puts it. He says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God didn't send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Here's the incredibly good news about the cross. God loves sinners like us so much that he sent his Son into the world not to condemn us, but to die for us so that we can live with him forever in paradise. Because of what Christ has done, we don't need to fear death anymore. If you believe in him, you will not perish, but have eternal life. That's why Martin Luther King could say, I'm happy tonight. I'm not worried about anything. I'm not fearing any man. Mine eyes have seen the glory of the coming of the Lord. He could say that because he had his hope set on Jesus. He believed in Jesus. You could blow him up or put a bullet in his brain. He wasn't afraid because he knew his Lord loved him and would look after him in life and in death. And we can have the same confidence When we recognize our guilt and sin and look to Jesus on the cross, we can have full confidence of forgiveness and of God's love for us in Jesus. No matter what we've done wrong, anyone can do that. Anyone who recognizes their guilt before God can look to Jesus and be saved. And I want to invite you this morning, if you haven't yet put your trust in Jesus, what better day to do it than today? Look to Him and you will be saved. Today, let's celebrate the death of Jesus. Let's not merely commemorate Easter or observe Easter. Let's celebrate Easter. Let's meditate deeply on the cross and be filled with great joy over what God has done for us in Christ, that we've been saved from the hell we deserve by a God who deeply loves us and cares for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the gospel. We thank you that you so loved the world that you sent your only son to die for sinners like us. I pray that today that that reality would sink deep into our hearts. May you open our eyes to see and savor uh, the Lord Jesus Christ and to look to him for salvation. And we pray these things in his name. Amen.